0: Good. I'm switched on. That's good to hear. That's great. It's good to be here. It's good to see faces. It's good to see be uh, physically in the same place together. Um, it's not su- just not quite the same on a screen. And, uh, uh, but it's a few issues with some of the work I do because that means I well, when it's happening, normally I get over to Melbourne fairly regularly. <laughs> that ain't happening at the moment anyway. It's not quite the same. <clears throat> this morning, I want to I wanna ask a lot of questions. Um, hopefully push you in the, in the direction of a few answers as well. But, well that's, that's at least partly up to you. I want to ask what happens. What does happen when God says no? Um, he said no to me a few times. I'm really glad he said no to me some of those times. Not so glad he said no some of the other times. But he said no a few times. I mean, after all, there's, there's quite a few passages in here, in the Scriptures, that, uh, that talk about the prayer of faith and uh, how when you pray in faith that it will be done. And there have been times in my life when I've found those passages difficult to read. Because I'd been in a place where I prayed and it wasn't done. And uh, you know, if if you know me, which a few of you do, you know that I'm a I'm a fairly sort of pragmatic kind of person, and and I I love to see I love to see faith working. And anything I'm involved in, I like to see it working. I like to see the rubber hitting the road. I i don 't like putting a lot of energy into something that 's just in out in the ether somewhere, and i can 't see how it 's actually impacting anything you know and uh so when I pray and it isn't done, it can be a bit of a it can be a bit of something I have to work through and there have been times where i've really had to work through some stuff and I do know some people who have uh had some kind of crisis in their life and they've prayed and it wasn't done, who have, as a result, walked away from their faith. They've, they've been so disappointed by it not being done. They've been so disappointed by God's apparent no that they've said, well, this is not what I signed on for. I'm out of here. know some people like that. I also know some people who have been through big crises in their lives, who have had a very similar experience except they got through the other end of it in a very different state. Not only did their faith survive that crisis and and it not happening as they prayed, but in fact they got through that crisis with a faith that was even stronger than it was when they went into it. What is the difference between those two things? It's something we should know, right? Right? (laughs) <laughs> we all go through stuff in life. I mean, I don't think I'm. Um, surely, there's nobody in this room whose life has just been one beautiful thing after another. There are lots of beautiful things in life. That's great, but there's some other stuff in between the beautiful things, isn't there? And if you're not like that, talk to me afterwards. I need to know what you got that I don't. Yeah, um, because stuff happens in life which does not seem at all beautiful. And it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. And uh, that's, that's a big challenge. So how do we come out of that kind of experience with a faith that's even stronger than it was when we went into that experience? And I guess what I want to do to begin with is tell you a story, my story, well, at least a part of my story. You don't want all my story. We don't, we don't have that long. But I want to tell you a part of my story. And... Uh, I want to tell you that story as, as one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread, okay? Uh, this story, I'm going to tell you, was not pre-planned. It was not a strategy. I did not look at the, the panorama of life before me and say, okay, to overcome that, I'm going to do this, this and this and this and this is going to be a strategy I'm going to do and I'm going to come out the other side really good and I can now look back and say, yeah, that worked. <laughs> That's not the way it's happened at all, right? The story I'm going to tell you and some of the things I'm going to say about that story have been a result of reflection I've undertaken over the last few years since these events have happened. Um, Anybody who is an educator knows that the way that adults learn or the best way that adults often learn is through reflection on experience, isn't it? And, of course, we all reflect through certain lenses and, and what we know and what we've experienced. My wife, Kay, died of cancer in June 2013. Uh, That was about seven years after she had been diagnosed with with said disease. And uh, at that time, back in 2006, we had just come back uh, from Chad, where we'd been working for a number of years, training uh, um, Indigenous Bible translators and literacy workers. And uh, this diagnosis meant quite promptly that we weren't going back to Chad. Um, simply because the uh, you know, side effects of the condition could result in a medical condition which, for which there were not the facilities in, in Chad to deal with it, and so the organization we were part of said, "Sorry, Chad 's out of the question now. Uh, you're not going back there." We did in 2008, end up in Kenya, and uh, our ministry took a, a different angle and uh, Various members of my family were differently affected as a result. I have one daughter over there. If you scratch her skin a little bit, she's black underneath. (laughs) Anyway, that's another story. And through this time, for the most part, Kay's health was pretty good. Um, There was surgery two or three times. Um, But most of the time... Yeah, she, she got along pretty well and she was able in Kenya to have quite a significant impact in our ministry there. Um, in fact, as time went on, her impact there grew and grew and grew. But jumping ahead to the end of the story again, that just made it all the more frustrating when God said no. Because I looked at that situation, I looked what she was doing there and I was going, Ugh, this is not the way I would run the universe, God. Can't you see what she's been doing here? Why cut this off now? Anyway, back to some sequence. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit global. I tend to go here and there and around. But we prayed. Oh, we prayed. Right? Yeah. We prayed. And we believed. We believed. You know, not long after she was diagnosed with this particular condition, we started doing a bit of research. You know, looked up Dr. Google. And what we discovered among a lot of unhelpful stuff was a lot of really helpful stuff. And some of the stuff we found, I'm not quite sure which category this falls into, was that people were just talking about survival times. They weren't talking about cures. They weren't talking about recovery. They weren't talking about what people do after they get over this condition. People don't get over this condition. All they talked about was how long you survive until you die. And that kind of makes you sit back a bit when you start reading that kind of stuff and you think, oh, okay, this is not good. <laughs> so we prayed, you know, it seemed to be... I mean, sure, we followed medical advice and as I said, there was surgery two or three times and uh, as it went on over a number of years and we prayed and we continued to pray and we believed and we continued to believe. And... uh even at the end of 2012 when we came back from Kenya to Australia and, and Kay was not well, not at all well. And uh, she had a number of uh, visits to hospital in a, in a short time and she got on to uh, an intravenous feeding kind of system, okay, because, her, because of the condition her digestive system simply wasn't functioning. And uh, it got, even when it got to that, we, we prayed and we believed. And she died. Now, I need to say a number of things about that. First of all, I, I wasn't much used to anybody for a couple of months after she died. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong in anything I say here. I was, I was a mess. Now, I don't know what you guys over here thought of me at that time. I have never actually asked you. you know? um, and I don't know how much they noticed. But in case you hadn't noticed, I was a mess. Okay. Um, it was a real kick in the guts, Um, knocked me over. Um, And, you know, being a pretty steady kind of guy, that was a kind of a new experience, really, (laughs) being knocked flat like that. It took quite a while to, to deal with that. And yet, not once, not once in all this time, not once in the the couple of months after Kay died, when I was a mess, not once did I consider abandoning my faith. Not once. It didn't even enter my head. It was never on the table. It was, was just never in my thoughts. And I've since then, and I say again what I said earlier, this is what I'm saying is a result of reflection over the last few years since then. Okay? And I've often reflected on that. Why is it? but I didn't even consider it. I didn't even realise at the time that I wasn't considering it. You know what I mean? It just, I just didn't. And, and I thought, well, well, why didn't I? <laughs> why didn't I? You know, I've, God, God says he heals people. Um, we prayed, we believed, and, and don't tell me my faith wasn't enough. I, I, real, I rarely get in people's faces and get annoyed at them. But if you try and tell me that my faith wasn't enough, I will get in your face and I will get annoyed. Okay. That's simply, that's not true, okay? Um, that wasn't the reason. And the thing is, you know, during the, the time we were in Chad and in Kenya, I prayed for people who were sick and they got better. Yeah. Yeah. Including on one occasion, I, I, I will never forget this, I prayed for this lady at an altar call, she's up at the front of a church and this condition she had was supposedly irreversible, but I went reversed that day. I know God does this, yeah? Yeah? I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm not just passing on secondhand stuff here. I've seen it. I've seen it happen before my eyes, and yet when I prayed for my wife, it didn't happen. And I've often reflected in the last seven years or so since then what it was about me, what it was about my faith that meant I didn't even consider walking away from God at that time the key question i want to pose to you the key question i've i guess i've come up with in, in reflecting on all these events is to ask you whether your faith is in god doing what you want him to or whether your faith is in god yeah.
1: Yeah, great challenge. Great
0: challenge. now let me let me elaborate a little bit more When I say faith in God, I'm talking about who He is. Okay? Who God is. And the more you get to know who God is, for me anyway, the easier it is to have faith in Him. (laughs) Gary last week was talking you you, you said it, you know, our faith is a lot to do with our relationship with God. Yeah? And I've often said, you know, and people talk about theology and the old caricature of theology comes up, and you can imagine what the caricature of theology is. I just say, I love theology, and I love it because in studying theology, I get to know God better. Yeah. I don't know what you think theology is, but theology should lead you to praise. Yeah, that's good. You study theology, you should end up saying, Praise God, you're awesome! Yeah oh, it's just incredible that we have a God like this. He does this and he's like that and he has this name. And, oh, great. God, you're amazing. Great job. That's, that's where theology should lead you. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you agree. Good, thanks, Daniel. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad the principal of Alpha Cruces in Adelaide agrees. That's good. Yeah. You see, who God is... I discovered, as I reflected, my faith was in who God is. Oh, look! I really wanted Him to do what I asked Him to. I really did, and it still, in one sense, doesn't make logical sense to me what happened. Yeah, we we had a ministry there in Kenya that was was flying, and Kay in particular, she was really starting to really starting to pack a punch with what she was doing. It doesn't make sense. But in the end, I have to say, I'm glad I'm not God, actually, because I couldn't make decisions like that. I really couldn't. It's just... You know, look, just very briefly, I can can testify that in those seven years since then, my life has, has taken wonderful turns that they wouldn't have taken otherwise. I've met wonderful people, and I've got a wonderful wife, just for the record. My ministry has taken excellent turns that it wouldn't have taken. But weigh that up against what was going on and, oh, you know which way I would have chosen at the time, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't have chosen what I have now. I would have chosen the other road, yeah? That wasn't the road that God wanted me to walk on. You see, as I look through the Scriptures, there's lots of examples. For example, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 30, for example. There's David. And it was only a few months ago, I reckon. I I reckon I I preached about this passage before before COVID-19 kind of changed the way we do things. But there's David. He's trying to. This is political manipulation. David is involved in here. He's he's running away from Saul. He's exiled himself in Philistia, and he's trying to get in close with the Philistine leaders, right? And he's he's manipulating politics like. He's, he's a master at it and he was. Okay? And then one day the Philistines marched off to do battle with Israel and David says, oh, I'm your man, I'm off, I'm off with you. He gets to the battlefield and the other Philistine leaders are saying, what is he doing here? Yeah, he's one of our enemies. He's, you know, he's slain. You know, all And uh, on he went. You know? and, and so they said to David, oh, come on, get out of here. We don't want you around here. We don't trust you. All right? You've got to turn on us in the battle. Go home. And so David and his few hundred men turned around, marched three days back to Ziklag where they'd been living. Well, they got there and the place had been trashed by some raiders. All their stuff was gone, their families were gone, carried off as slaves. And now David's men, who who weren't stupid, they knew that all this was about politics and David jockeying for position and they were ready to stone the guy. We've lost our families because of you. We've lost all our livelihoods because of you. Where are the stones? And verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 30 says, David found strength in the Lord his God. And I've often asked myself, whoa, that's a really short end to the problem. <laughs> One sentence, that's all it takes. Look, there's a story there, okay? But part of that story is that David knew who God was. He knew God. He had a relationship with him. He was in close with him. He was, he was tight with God and he yeah. knew that what he, he could just get alongside God and receive strength from him yeah. in that relationship. You see, if someone says to me, John, how do I increase my faith? The answer I'm going to give them is get to know God better.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Get to know God better. And that's why... I just love theology. I love, I love reading the scriptures because even, even though I've been doing this for years and years and years, I need, I, I need a new Bible. Anyway, I've been doing this for years and years and years. And each time I, I read a passage again, I, I learn something more about God and I get to know him a bit better. So to increase your faith, get to God, get to know God a bit better. You see, it's who God is that matters, and, and that takes me back to that question I asked—that you know, that that key question: Is your faith in what God does for you, or doing what you want Him to, or is your faith in who God is? And it's who God is that matters. And I've have to, I've had to face the fact, in all humility but I'm not the centre of the universe. <laughs> That's traumatic. And uh, Look, I don't... There's a bit of cynicism creeping in, and I apologise humbly, because we all have... You, you know, wherever our relationship with God is at, it doesn't include an ongoing understanding, usually, of God's relationships with everybody else. It's our relationship with God, isn't it? And sometimes, because God is so good and God is so loving and God is so just so amazing, He makes us feel sometimes like we are the centre of the universe. He lavishes His love on us. He sent His Son for us and if it was just me, Jesus still would have come. And sometimes... God's love makes me feel like I am the center of the universe, that I am so special, that God does all these things. But yeah, I'm not the only consideration on God's plate. And this process, by the way, of getting to know God becomes a self perpetuating cycle. I'm just losing my microphone here. A self perpetuating cycle. So even if it begins with I've got to read this. I've got to find out about God. Okay, I've got to do this. But when you find out a bit about, a bit about God, the desire to find out more about God becomes more. And then, and then you, you, you come to it with a bit more enthusiasm and you find out more. And so you come to it with a bit more enthusiasm and then you'll find out more. <laughs> yeah, we increase our faith by getting to know God better. But part of our relationship with God and getting to know God is how we see ourselves in that relationship. And I, I, obviously, I've talked a little bit about it, you know, talking about God's love making us feel you know, a bit like we're the centre of the universe. But I just want to cite you a couple of examples of where Jesus was in his relationship with God. Yeah. You know that our Lord that we look up to and we're becoming more and more like him? John chapter 13 there's a, there's a little little passage there, it's fairly well known, where the night before he died, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And it says there in verses three and four of John chapter 13, that you know Jesus, knowing that all authority was given to him, knowing where he came from, and knowing where he was going, he took a towel, took a bowl of water, and went and washed his disciples' feet. Now, this is not the point I want to make. It's not about washing feet, not about serving others. It's about Jesus knew where he was from. He knew where he was going. He knew that he'd been given all authority. He knew who he was in his relationship with God. He had such a confidence, such a peace of mind about where he was and who he was in God's eyes that he could do something so blatantly and intensely countercultural. He, he, the master of all the disciples, he who was obviously the leader of this this band, could get down to his underwear, get on his knees and wash those smelly, dirty feet that nobody else had bothered to do, by the way. There was apparently no, no servant slash slave there for that job. They had to do it themselves and all the disciples are apparently looking at each other wondering who's going to take on the role of the least to, to, to do this and, and Jesus did it. And, and, wow, did that teach them something. But he was able to do that because he was so secure in who he was in God's eyes. Yeah, he knew where he was coming from. He knew where he was going. And the other example I just want to cite, and there are just so many, is in Mark chapter 4, from verses, verse 35 onwards. It's the story of Jesus and his disciples crossing the lake in a boat, and a storm comes up, and, and Jesus is asleep. He's having a snooze as the waves go up and the disciples get more and more panicky about the fact that they are probably going to die. They are all fishermen on this lake. They do know the weather patterns. They've seen storms like this and they go, uh-oh, you know, we, we, this is a doozy. Okay, we're in trouble here. They knew that. And it got to the point where they go and wake up Jesus, give him a big shake, and, like, Lord, do you even care that we're going to die? What are you, you're sleeping, for crying out loud. We're about to die here and Jesus gets up. You probably know the story. Jesus gets up, tells the, the, the wind to knock it off, um, and it does. Now, the main point of that story is about Jesus' about Jesus's power over nature and, and who he is. But the point I want to bring out of that today for us is just a little detail on the side of the story. little detail is that Jesus was asleep. Now, I'm not saying that this says we should sleep through our storms. Not, not, No, no, it's not what I'm saying. But what it does say was that Jesus was pretty relaxed about the whole affair. He knew where they were going. He knew they were going to get there. Yeah, he knew there was a storm. But he didn't have the same fear the disciples had about drowning. Just chew on that. Yeah, just chew on that. He was comfortable enough in that boat, on that lake, in that storm, to stick his head on a cushion and and get a snooze. Now, okay, he got a snooze because he was buggered. He'd been been working hard. Ministry had been constant, 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 constant. People, 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 sick people needing healing, hungry people needing feeding, curious people needing teaching. And it was on and on and on and on. And here they are in the boat and... (laughs) There's only 24 hours in a day and Jesus knew it was a few of those we are going to take to get to the other side and he was going to take it to have a sleep. He needed a rest and he took a rest even though there was a storm. But the point I want to bring out is not that we should sleep through storms or rest through storms. The point I want to bring out is that Jesus needed the rest and he took that chance to get it even though there was a storm and his faith was such that even though the boat's starting to do this, he could just take a nap. Now, I've reflected on that long and hard over, over a period of time and I conclude that that took serious faith. Yeah? yeah? Those, those boats weren't big affairs, you know. <laughs> Small little fishing boats and uh, when the waves get serious, they get thrown around and yet he can take a nap. That's, that's, that's a pretty heavy face, that is. And so while... Yeah, look, the main point of the story is, is Jesus' power over nature and who he is. I want us to reflect on the fact that he had faith enough to take a nap when he needed one, even though there was a storm. Yeah. So how do we do this? Where do we go? Well, last week Gary mentioned an important verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 7. Where it says, hang on, 17. I was looking at 7 and saying, nope, that's not it. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And, um, you yeah, know, we're talking about increasing your faith and having the kind of faith that can, um, that can stand in the face of a crisis. So I guess. Faith comes from hearing, it says. <laughs> in this uh, this time when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, um, reading silently was not well known. Not many people did it. Most people read aloud. When um, Philip was in the desert and he saw this Ethiopian guy in a chariot, and the Ethiopian was reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and Philip pulled up along, he trotted up alongside the chariot and asked the Ethiopian if he understood what he was reading. How did Philip know he was reading what he was reading? Well, he knew because the guy was reading aloud. That's what they did, yeah? Um, and a lot of people couldn't read anyway. Literacy rates were much lower back then than, than, than we're used to in our culture. So this hearing thing is, yeah, preaching, yeah, um, hearing the gospel. It's also from hearing this word of God, all right? Um, and, you know, often we do that silently. We'll sit and we'll we'll read without making any noise. But that's included, yeah, in this faith comes from hearing. Um, so go to the Scriptures. Go to the Scriptures. That wasn't a surprise, was it? <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, another example of the same thing happened in uh, Luke chapter 10 from verse 38. There's this one day... Uh, Jesus and his, his band of travellers turn up at Mary and Martha's house. Now, if you're two women who live together and Jesus and his disciples, there's 13 for starters, there were probably a few extra hangers on, we might be talking 20, 25 people, rock up for dinner, what happens? Well, certainly, I don't know what happens at your place, you might kick them out again, but in that culture at that time, these two women, the expectation was that they would bend over backwards to feed these 20, 25 people and they would work their, their knuckles raw to do it. You know. And maybe um, uh, Martha was off down to the market to get a bit more food, for starters, because you got to feed a crowd. So rushes off down to the market, gets back to the house, starts preparing it thinking, where's Mary? She's supposed to be cleaning the place. And then she finds Mary sitting on her butt, listening to Jesus, and she's going, what? What, what? Who do you think you are? You're supposed to be helping me feed this crowd, not joining the crowd. And so she complained, and, and culturally, absolutely rightly did she complain. Jesus wouldn't criticise Mary. He said, this won't be taken from her. In fact, she's chosen the right thing. What'd she chosen? She'd chosen... Get to know Jesus. Yeah, right. She'd chosen to sit there and counterculturally again. You know, when you see Jesus doing stuff which is goes against the grain of the prevailing culture he's in, and because I guess I've I've been exposed to different cultures, I, my eyes open up, my ears open up. Whoa! Why is he going contrary to the the prevailing culture he's in? This, this, this is worth paying attention to. Yeah, and he says you know, she's chosen the right thing. Mary was passionate about getting to know Jesus. Here's an opportunity. The guy doesn't pass through that often. Here he is in our house, not letting this opportunity go past. Yeah? Thirsty, hungry, want to get to know the guy. Faith comes by hearing. Want to increase your faith? Get to know Jesus better. Spend some time at his feet. There's another example. Look, there's, there's... So many examples. Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The nation is facing a crisis. There's this huge army coming. Jehoshaphat's not stupid. He gets the reports from the spies and his first thought is, "Uh uh-oh, we are going to get caned, right? He knew who was in his army. He knew the size of that army from spies and scouts and so on, and he went, "Uh uh-oh. It's like Jesus said, you know, goes to battle with 10,000 against someone with 20,000, he, he thinks of a strategy because he knows he's not going to win this one. Yeah, Jehoshaphat was in that place. He was, knew he wasn't going to win this one. So he calls this national day of fasting. Everybody gathers around the temple. And Jehoshaphat starts to pray. And the first thing he does when he starts to pray isn't say, God, help. first thing he starts to say when he, when he starts to pray is to recount what God has done for the people of Israel. This, you see, was a foundation for Jehoshaphat's faith. He could stand there and say to God, help, which he did later in the prayer. (laughs) But he could do that because he had read or had read to him all the things that God had done for his people. And he knew that God had done amazing things in the desert in the time of Moses. He knew that God had done amazing things in the time of Joshua. He knew that God had done amazing things through people like Samson and Deborah and other judges. He knew that God had done amazing things through King David. He knew God had blessed Israel so greatly during the time of David and Solomon. He knew these things and this was the foundation of the faith that brought him before God to say, now, help. (laughs) But he wasn't coming blind, you see. All this that I'm talking about here is not blind faith. I didn't come through the crisis I told you earlier because my faith is blind. I came through that crisis I told you about earlier because my faith was in who God is. And even if I don't understand sometimes what God does and the decisions he makes, and the best I can say of it is I'm glad I'm not God because I just couldn't make decisions like that. Even if that's the best I can say about it, I still have faith in who God is.
1: Very good, John. Very good.
0: Hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of verses in John chapter six. Peter opens his mouth again. You know, every second time that Peter opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it. But this in John chapter six, this is one of those times where he didn't put the foot in. What he said was like, wow, spot on. Jesus in John chapter 6 had been talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the Son of Man and everybody there is going, whoa, this, I'm not sure what this guy is smoking but I don't want any of it. Okay, And they start to leave. The crowd thins out really quick. And fortunately I've, I've never had that experience as a speaker and don't do it today.
1: <laughs>
0: where you start talking and everybody is just drifting out the back door. As you, you, don't, you don't get halfway through your message and you, there's only... Only five people left. This was that one of those days for Jesus. Okay, Even, even the Messiah had a day when the audience walked out on him. They, they just weren't going to take any of this. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and I don't know if there was a bit of sarcasm or a bit of cynicism. Dare I suggest that Jesus could be cynical sometimes? He says, are you lot leaving too? Peter, as was his habit opens his mouth and out comes words, but this time it was really good stuff. And he said, where else would I go? You've got the words of eternal life. (laughs) You see, there ain't anything better anywhere else. But how do you know that? Let me ask you, how do you know there's nothing better somewhere else? Think about that. Turn that over in your minds. How do you get to a place where you're absolutely certain you know there's nothing better anywhere else? You get there by knowing God better and better and better and as you get to know him better you think yeah, there's, there's nothing anywhere else there's, there's no, no deal anywhere else better than this Yeah, it's God or nothing because all the other alternatives are, are way short of this I'm not going anywhere and uh, sometimes I just maybe I identify a bit too closely sometimes with Peter and some of the things he says. you see he said this because he knew Jesus and he knew that Jesus was someone great. Jesus, What Jesus said was the key to his, his life. You see, he knew that. And even though he's probably just as confused as the people who have walked out, he was still sitting there saying, well, if I hang around, I might understand this one day. Now, What's, what's the difference between those two positions? You hear someone say something and you think, whoa, I'm not having a part of this, I'm out of here. Or you hear someone say that something and you go, I don't get this. But this guy is the goods. I'm going to hang around till I understand this. Yeah. Two different attitudes, you see? How do we finish up on one side of the line and not the other? Yeah. I'd put it to you that we finish up on one side of the line and not the other because we know Jesus well. Yeah. Just chew on that. Yeah, Not expecting everybody to jump up and down and say, yeah, I get it. This took me a few years. Okay. The end of it all, get to know Jesus better. Jesus is in the back of a boat having a snooze during a storm. Having a snooze because his, his faith was enough that he knew they were going to get to the other side of the lake. And I share this and emphasise this because for me, this is a bit of a, this is a, bit of a turning point for me. Okay? This, reflecting on the fact that Jesus was asleep in the back of that boat. The, the turning point is that life has storms. I said that earlier, right? Yeah, nobody here has had a life that's just all one beautiful thing after another with no bad bits in between. Life has storms. Life has difficult patches. Some of us have the misfortune to have a life which has a lot of that stuff in it. Some of us are a bit luckier. But life has storms. So we're going to go through them. You know, suck it up, princess, and all that stuff. Okay, That's the way life is. We live in a fallen world. Bad stuff happens to good people. And until God restores it all at the end, and yeah, I have read to the end of the book, I've seen he does that, but until he does that, life's going to have some hard stuff in it. Yeah. And we've got to work out how we're, to, how we're going to respond to this hard stuff. And I know this is, not, this is so much easier said than done. Like I told you when I started to tell the story, I'm talking about this as one beggar telling another beggar how to find bread. Yeah. We can either choose. No, I don't like that word. Sometimes it's not as easy as choosing. I've been there. But either we can be in a place where we're asleep in the back of the boat having a snooze because we're buggered and we need the rest and we'll deal with the storm when we wake up. Or we can be hanging to the edge of the boat with the muscles like this going, oh, I hate this storm. I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. I've been in the second place too. Yeah. But I want you to chew on it. I want you to turn that over in your mind and ask God, how do I get in the place where I'll just put my head on a pillow because I'm bugging and need the rest and I'll deal with the storm when I wake up? How do you get to that place? How, how do you get to that place of shalom, huh? peace? Where all these concepts are just so interrelated, yeah? Peace and faith, they go together. If you, if you have faith, you, you have peace. If you have peace, you can have faith. Seek to get the... Get to know God better. Get, get hungry. Get thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be trying to think of what's the formula to increase my faith, what's the ingredient I have to add. It's, it is more simple than that. Get to know God better. Get to know God better. And even if it's just getting out your Bible more often, reading more of it, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, not here to prescribe you know, the medicine, Okay. Just get to know God better. Oh, oh, look! If it's if it's if it's if it's accredited study you want, we've got the principal of the Adelaide um, Adelaide uh, campus of Alpha Crucis here in the congregation. Go talk to him. You know, it's a great college, great courses, fully accredited. If that's not for you, and you just want to turbocharge your Bible study with some totally unaccredited stuff, come come see me. Okay. That's, that's what I do during the week. Get hungry. Just focus on getting to know God, God wherever you're at, you know. If you don't know him well or you know him really well, you need to get to know him better. And even after, oh, when did I give my life to Jesus? We, we're talking over 40 years ago, okay? And still still I can open this book. I tell you, I've read it a lot, cover to cover, year after year after year. And still I can open it and go, oh, God, that's amazing. Thank you. You you just keep on getting to know him better. Yeah, Yeah, look, I just want to, I don't know everybody here. Recognise most of your faces. Some of you I (laughs) don't. So I don't know where you're at. But look, if you're you're hearing what I'm saying and you're saying, watch it, I don't really know Jesus much at all. (laughs) I'm not even a square one on what you are talking about, John. Well, if you're in that place, I want to invite you to to get to square one. I want to invite you to um, acknowledge that Jesus does have the words of eternal life that Jesus does hold the key to your life. Yeah. And there's going to be thousands of steps to take, but just take the first one. Yeah, it's good job. What, what, I, what I want to do, and please, people, don't look around. Just mind your own business. If, if there's someone who wants to, to do what I've just said, just give me a little indication. Um, and if there's no one here, perhaps you're watching this video, I just want to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, being a disciple is a, is a journey of, of so many steps. It's a journey of uphill and down dale and I want to pray for, pray for my friends who, who might have said, I want to take the first step. You know who they are, Lord. I pray that you will touch them, that you will guide them, that you will you will bring them to step two and step three and step four and step five and all those steps after that. I trust you, Jesus. I know I know that you'll do this. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, if you were, and I didn't see any people doing this in here, but um, if you're watching this video and, and that was you, then get in contact with us. Uh, we've got some stuff that we'd be we'd be happy to give you. That's for the rest of us who are here. I've talked about increasing our faith. I've talked about having faith that can stand in the crises. I'm I'm not praying crises on anyone. Quite the contrary, I'd rather we didn't have to face them. I just know that life's like that. Bad things happen to good people. We get disappointed, we pray and it doesn't it's not done i'd like to pray for us too okay and i include myself in that there are times and even sometimes quite recently where i just haven't been sure of i've got it for the next step yeah let's pray Jesus, you do have the words of eternal life. You do hold the key to my life. You hold the key to all our lives. You teach us, Jesus, to reach this place where, when we're in that boat in the storm, we can, if we're buggered, we can have a rest. If we're just so tired, we need to to shut our eyes and take a break and deal with the storm and we wake up, then give give us the peace and give us the faith where we can do that. Allow us to arrive in that place, Jesus. I pray for my my brothers and sisters here that you will show yourself to them more, Lord Jesus. And wherever they're all at, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would reveal something more to them of you. Show them something more about your marvellous character, your marvellous, oh, just the marvellous things you've done. Reveal to them something special, Lord Jesus, I pray. That today, tomorrow, in these next few days, as my brothers and sisters chew on some of these things I said, that you bring them to a place where they are saying, praise God. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are amazing. I praise you, King of kings and Lord of lords. You are awesome. You have the words of eternal life. You have the key to my life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you've shown me something of yourself. I pray in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Uh, That message took courage to talk about. And uh, just an amazing testimony that John has. And I would encourage you that if there's questions you have about some of the things that John said, go and talk to him. He's a great guy to talk to, very easy to talk to. And uh, I'm sure that he'd be able to provide some insight and some wisdom uh, in any of the questions that you may have of John. But uh, just want to say thanks for coming out today. It's been so good to be in the presence of God and sitting under an anointed worship and anointed word today, just really do appreciate that thank you so much John, that was a great great message, really do appreciate that message, It's fantastic, so give John another hand like I say most Sundays you've been lit up to light up, you've been renewed and transformed to bring renewal and transformation, as you go about your week this week, I pray that you're able to talk to someone and bring light into their world Bring some level of renewal into their life and maybe even see someone's life transformed as you lead them to Jesus. Have a great day, great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you, everyone. Take care.